All right, we're going to take our declaration that we always take when we want to study. We're going to declare the word of God. That's how we stimulate our spirits, okay, to be able to receive what God wants to do for us once again this evening. So let's do it together. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. And that will be your testimony once again in the name of Jesus. All right, can you quickly just greet two people, three, no, four people around you. Tell them you are blessed in the name of Jesus. Okay, let's um, open our Bibles today. We are going to continue uh, what we began. It's the beginning of the year, and that just made it seem appropriate for us to start studying some things about how change happens, how change comes. And so I decided to put a caption to the series, and I call it the Gospel of Change. And we're looking at change in two dimensions there. We're looking at change as it has to do with us as individuals, and that's because that is the foundation of change, actually. That's the foundation of change. And then also we are looking at, at how we affect the things around us and cause the change that God has determined to happen to happen, you understand what I mean? How we cause them to happen because many things depend upon us. The things around this earth are dependent, the occurrences, the experiences on the earth are dependent upon the activities of the people therein. You know, sometimes you hear the world talk about global warming, global warming, global warming. They talk about it all the time. You see them trying to cause, if, you know, arrest the warming of the globe. What kind of world do we leave for our children? And you put a lot of effort into, okay, let's stop burning fossil fuels. Let's uh, stop um, using, uh, what do you call it, non-renewable energy. You know, let's get, go for renewable energy. What do you mean by renewable energy? The one that you don't have to burn gas, burn coal, burn you know, fuel of any sort, carbon-based fuel. So what you do is you use um, solar energy, you use um, um, wind and all of that. And some even say nuclear energy with all these problems is also renewable energy. I don't know. But the point is that they want to re- um, arrest the progress of global warming so that the globe can start cooling again. Now, I know if they hear this, they will say I'm a naysayer and that they say conservative Christians are a problem, that they don't accept these things. And really, if you know the Lord well, and you saw the scriptures well, you will find those things hard to accept. Not because you have been difficult and unscientific. First, let me just establish for all those who may be hearing me. I read a lot, okay? If you listen to me enough, you know I try to keep abreast of what is going on around. And I like the fact that I do, so that if you're listening to me, you know I am not exactly an ignorant person. I'm not saying I know so much, but I try. Are you getting my point? If I want, brother, the reason why he fell in love with me the first day he heard me, he said I was the most informed preacher he ever heard, and he found a preacher that was connecting scripture with current day life, and it really impressed him so much. Okay, now the point I'm making is this. I know a bit of science, and I read a lot, and I can give you a few facts. 
Facts. This is not just opinion. Facts. Most of the things they tell you about the cause of global warming is skewed information. They tilted it. They don't give you the whole truth. In fact, they give you less than 20% of the truth. First, nobody's sure why the globe is warming. When they tell you that it is because of what we are doing, it's one of the theories. There are four or five theories. This is not about, do I, you know, it's not what I think. I've given you fact. There are about four or five well-established scientific theories. And one of them is what is pumped every day because of politics. The one that's canvassed every day is the one that's called anthropogenic theory. That is, the cause is human beings, anthropogenic. There's another one, solar. Is this solar? That is, the sun could be the cause. Maybe the sun is getting too hot. So it's sending too much radiation down to us. Another one is that maybe the core of the earth is heating up because the core of the earth is connected to the base, the root of the seas, and they can actually suck heat from there upward for us. Of course, you know, the warmer water will actually rise. You understand? We don't know exactly what's going on in the core of the earth, but we also suspect that it heats up and cools down for reasons we don't understand. I'll give you how many? Three. I can't remember the other two now. There are about five. I have the document somewhere. Scientific document. There are about five well-established theories. One of them says is our habit. Why I personally don't take that, I don't take that one very seriously is that those, that was the same one they used to explain global cooling in the 70s. In the 70s, the globe was getting very cool. And the caption in newspapers those days was, are we heading for another ice age? Winters were getting bitterly cold. So they say, what is happening? What's causing it? It says industrialization. That's because the industries are emitting too much smoke into the air. And that smoke is shielding the sun from reaching the earth. So the sun is getting too cold. The earth is getting too cold. That is the same reason they are telling you the earth is getting too warm. That those things are now trapping heat. I said, how? In less than 50 years, you swung around so much. And you tell me, because I'm a Christian, I'm not believing you. It's because I'm bigoted. I'm, I'm a... What's the English? Anyway, my bias is too much. So it's when people like me say things we say, it's not because we are Christians alone. It's because we, being Christians, it's, David said, I have more understanding than my teachers because your med- t- testimonies are my meditation. One of the testimonies is that Solomon told us that you will see these things that are cycles. So he said, your efforts to stop global warming, Solomon said it is what? Vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. That if you do everything you are saying, you will find that the earth will keep getting warmer. Then when you get frustrated, it suddenly starts cooling over. Once I was watching CNN, and this is not a Christian network. Yet, I watched uh, Fled Plankton, whatever his name, explain that Greenland is called Greenland because when Eric the Red got there, it was green. Did you hear what I said? So hundreds of years ago, a man, Eric the Red, left another country and went to Greenland and called it Greenland because he saw everywhere was what? Green. Now, Greenland is white because it's all ice. Now, Greenland is melting. Now, they say it's global warming. Who warmed it before Eric the Red got there? This is fact. But you know what? They're not twisting the fact to tell you that Eric the Red lied. (laughs) 
when they call it Greenland. They wanted to attract people. It's not true. Tropical fruits have been found in old Europe to tell you there was a time Europe was warm. And you and I didn't have cars that time. We didn't have industries releasing all these things into the air. This earth, as a matter of fact, goes around in cycles. We know that as a matter of fact. Now, why I said what I said is to bring out something. Like I said, Solomon has emphasized to us that he has observed these things. There's nothing new under the sun. He knows that the world will get warmer, they will get cooler. Of course, people should get um, um, responsible, should be responsible. But he said this effort in trying to cool down the globe, even scientifically, they know it will not work. All right? Somebody analyzed it some time ago and said even if he did everything, he probably would manage to take one degree off over 50 years, something like that. Now, but the point I'm trying to make is that Solomon said, look, this has happened again and again. But the Bible tells us something. That's where I'm going with all of this, my talk. It says that, yes, the people on the earth, they have effect on what is going on. They do. They do. For example, he says to them, talking to Israel specifically, he said that um, because you neglected my house and you're not building my house, the temple in Jerusalem, he said, therefore, dew has stopped, rain has stopped, I called for a famine upon the land. Why? Because of my house that you left, you know, unattended to. So those people will have been out of order to be getting meteorologists to investigate where there is what, where there's no rain. Where there's no, where there's, God said, hey, wait, just go and finish that temple, you will see rain. You know, Moses said it, God said to Moses, the earth can be polluted so that it will vomit up its inhabitants. The inhabitants will be vomited up. How is the earth polluted? It is because of the moral iniquity, not physical iniquity now, the moral iniquity of the people. He said, when you get into that land, don't do what the people there are doing. He said, because these things that they did caused the earth to be polluted, and then the earth vomited up the inhabitants. And this is what it means when it says the earth is vomiting inhabitants. Everything we are describing now, global warming, tsunamis, earthquakes, bushfires, killing everybody in Australia, you know, stuff like that. He said all of these things, after a while, people will run away. Once I was watching TV many years ago, in one single year, they had four major natural disasters. That was the year of Hurricane Andrew. That same year, there was massive bushfires. That same year, there was, um, there was an earthquake. All of it within one year. I'm not sure within a particular calendar year, but within the space of 12 months. There was an earthquake, there was bushfires, there was um, Hurricane Andrew came first. Then finally, there were four things. I can't remember the fourth one. But then when hurricane, uh, when the earthquake hit, I remember watching CNN many years ago now. And what I'm telling you should be around 93, 94. Sometime between 92 and 95. I'm not very sure of the year now, okay? One woman, I was watching her on TV, and she said that she's moving out, she's moving out, she's moving out. She and her husband. That they moved over here in the last one year. And in that year, she counted the four natural disasters she has experienced. She said, I'm moving out. And I said, wow, this is the Bible. The earth became what? Defiled. Therefore, it is vomiting out what? The inhabitants. That woman and her husband just got vomited out. Natural disasters vomit people out. Farming, plagues, they vomit people out. Right now, there's one coronavirus moving around Russia now. Two people diagnosed in the United States. That's it, sorry, China, I wanted to say. Okay, people that two people in the United States, people say, well, I wait, I wait to panic. I just, you know, I just moved away from the news. 
Look, the, earth, the, the heart of men will fail them when they behold. My heart is not going to fail. I believe in God. I hope you're getting my point. But the earth can be so polluted that it starts vomiting out the inhabitants. The pollution of the earth invites the judgment of God upon it. That is how human beings are fed global warming, actually. In the cars you drive, <laughs> that's not the problem. Scientists are not even sure it's a problem. Your industries are burning coal. That's not the problem. You want to know what the problem is? Iniquity. Sin. There are continents that within the next 40, 50 years, you will not want to go there. Because normally God's very patient. He suspends his, gen- his, his massive judgment sometimes for up to three generations. But by the time you are counting two generations entrenched in iniquity, and societal denial of God without giving him his necessary glory and his thanks. Within two generations, they are going down. He always does that. If you can't find revival in the horizon, they are going down. They will go down, except God is not alive. They will go down. The more you know about God, the more you know that (laughs) he may be long-suffering, but he's not ever suffering. And there are things it does not allow to thrive. You cannot institutionalize the denial of God. You collect his glory entirely. Give it to other gods. Two generations you still be prospering. No. This God, as long as he's alive, no. What happens? Sometimes you don't see his judgment on time. What happens is that, you, because you may find maybe a few, you know, I mean, scores of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they are not destroyed. Why? Because the ten righteous that were found in there, they are not prominent. I hope you're getting my point. So you'll be wondering, God, why have you not destroyed these people? You will not know that he counted ten, twenty righteous people, and those few people are in that land. And when they are really going to get destroyed, God, when he wants to destroy people, finally, he knows what to do. You know what he says? He said, when I want to bring to upon this generation all the sins they've committed in the last hundred years, I will give them prophets to kill. They will take one of those <laughs> salt people that he was counting. They will take the pedal to court, put him in prison. They will take another one, find him guilty of something, and hang him. By the time they do three or four of them like that, they won't know what God is doing. God is saying, I know what I'm doing. I want their iniquity to be full. So you hear things like, the righteous man perishes and nobody takes it to heart. God says, no, I have withdrawn him from judgment. I allowed him to die. I don't want him to experience the judgment I'm about to pour upon that land. Let me tell you the truth. This is how God is alive. You know, I've thought about it before. You can't poke your hands, your fingers in his eyes for a long time. He doesn't like to destroy. That's why he's slow. He's mindful that they are both flesh, but they are children, they are foolish. They send them prophets again and again. The time comes when the knowledge of God is as a society eradicated. Such a society will not last. Because no society lasts except there is intercession being made for them. So when you wipe out everybody that can intercede for a society, God will destroy it. In fact, he doesn't even have to, have to, have to actively destroy it. They will, they will implode. He has set this earth in a kind of order that they have to implode. They have to go. They will be destroyed. He destroyed, it destroys different ways. There are four major ways we talked about before. Sword. That's war. Famine. Pestilence, plague, 
pestilence and plague, same thing. The famine and which other one? Natural disasters. You just see one after another. One day, when the tsunami in Indonesia hit Bandarache many years ago, killing over 200,000 people, about a quarter of a million people in one day. One brother sent me a message. He said, you said it. I said, when did I say it? He said, you prophesied this thing. I couldn't even remember saying it. He said, one day I was preaching, and I said something. There was something going on in Indonesia at that time. He said, hmm, these people are joking. That when, because I think they were persecuting Christians. They were killing Christians, something like that. He said, I said that when God will answer them, they will be shocked. Like a year or two later, the tsunami hit. He called me and said, sir, you said this thing. I couldn't even remember when I said it. I just observed. Listen, there are things you just look at. You just understand the justice of God. Say, this one cannot fly. If you don't see his judgment against some things, there are mitigating circumstances. One of them, people are praying. You see a whole nation like Israel insult God. Is it because there are no graves in the wilderness, in, in Egypt? That's why you came to kill us in this wilderness? And then, God said, after everything I did for you, if you know God very well, if there was no Moses, everybody dies that day. If there was no Moses to stand and say, God, please, don't do this. Why shouldn't I do it? Look, for the glory of your name, the people will hear this. Essentially, Moses, because you asked, I'll leave them. The way America was going under Barack Obama, which will have gotten worse under Hillary Clinton if she had won the election, the country was going to go down. It was going to go down. Like Sadhu said that time, that God gave them Donald Trump as a sign of his suspension of his judgment. And like I say here a lot of times, anytime God suspends judgment, it's not permanent. He's giving you time to repent and spread repentance. And spread the knowledge of truth around. If the people of God don't do it, they get joined in the judgment when it's going to come. That is the way it works. The message is politics, whatever it is. Yesterday, Donald Trump joined the first president ever since Roe versus Wade. Joined the pro-life match that happens in front of the White House every year. Only two presidents have identified with them. George Bush and somebody else, George Bush Jr., another one. And even though they did not come, they sent a video. Donald Trump came out and joined. They said uh, it's just because he's trying to distract them from the impeachment. He's going to win the impeachment. Even there, they knew, they knew beforehand. But for whatever reason he did, is a sign. Sadhu Savaraj said that the day they legalized homosexual marriages, was it when they did that? By the time they, they painted White House with lights in the rainbow color of the LGBT, <laughs> Sado said, I wish Americans knew what they did that day. He gave them the American terminology. He said, that was the day you guys gave God the finger. You know what that means? He said, they gave God, they gave God the finger that you painted the White House, the seat of leadership. Like one reporter said in Uganda, the fountain of honor. You painted it in, a, in that, in the rainbow color, signifying, you know, the LGBT rights over everything. He said, you simply told God, let me use my own words, go to hell. And you know what? He won't go to hell. He will send you there. <laughs> that is what he does. That is what he does. Never forget, that's how God is. Let me say something to you. Don't believe this lying gospel of grace people preach. Listen, truth 
is easy to turn into a lie. How do you turn truth into a lie? Let me tell you as an example. Example now I tell you that, look, let me just give, I'm looking for a quick example, a law that applies in Cameroon. Okay, let's just assume that in, in Cameroon they drive on the right side of the road. In Nigeria we drive on what side? Hmm? No, we drive on the right now. Now our steering is on the left. Yes, uh-huh, don't confuse me. <laughs> let's assume that in Cameroon they drive, okay, in Nigeria we drive on the, the we drive on the right now. Uh-uh. Our cars has left hand steering. It's only Keke that's middle hand steering. <laughs> okay, so in Nigeria we drive on the right side. You know, right, driving on the right is good. As long as you're within Nigeria. Once you carry that car and enter into Japan, it is wrong. Carry that car and enter into UK, it is suddenly wrong. That's when you import cars from Japan. You import beautiful cars from UK. Once they come to Nigeria, it's instantly against the law. There are people who specialize in Lagos doing what they call conversion. Converting right-hand drive cars to left-hand drive cars. Anything wrong with the car? No. It just changed jurisdiction. Truth is like that also. When you carry truth beyond certain borders, it becomes a lie. The gospel of grace that many people preach has been taken out of its borders and carried into a place where it does not belong. They've taken the gospel of grace and given it to people who deny God. And they give you the impression it covers them. No. Even the mercy of God does not cover. Because the mercy of God is abundant upon those who fear him. Because when you basically fear God, he knows that you are but flesh. There are things you don't know. There are things you will not do rightly. There are mistakes you make every day. That's why someone like Solomon will say, there's no man that does not commit sin. People say, it means everybody is sinning. Solomon was saying something. Nobody is perfect. People make mistakes. Sometimes people do things under pressure, and after that they remember. Let me give you an example. When Peter was denying Jesus, he was not aware he was denying Jesus. He denied him three times. In the space of time, it takes a cock to crow twice. And if you know cocks during the crowing season... They don't crow and give you one hour. He just waits for a while to catch his breath. And he does it again. In in that short period, Peter denied the Lord three times. What does that tell you? The boy was not thinking. You are one of them. He was looking at Jesus being whipped. You are one of them. (laughs) Leave me, I don't know him. Oh, your voice gives you away. You talk like a man from Galilee. <laughs> I said, leave me alone. I swear by Almighty God, I don't know him. Then when he heard that second crow, that was when he realized what he had done. That's what mercy covers. Because basically, he wouldn't deny Jesus. If you give him time to think and write, he was a righteous man. He loved the Lord. But under pressure, he buckled. So mercy covers that. I hope you're getting my point. The fact that you're under pressure does not mean you're not guilty. You're still guilty. But God being mindful, mercy covers it. But mercy does not cover those who know the truth and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It doesn't. 
Grace does not cover a continued walk in iniquity. It does not. In fact, the fact that you are continuing in iniquity is a sign that you have denied grace. Because the manifestation of the operation of grace is the ability to walk above sin. So when somebody continues walking in sin and is saying grace covers, just say to the fellow, you don't believe at all. If you believed, you would have run down to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If you believed in grace, you will have gathered yourself. Your name is Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You will have gathered and said, oh, boys, we are about to get into a zone of intense temptation. Let us pray that we will not fall into temptation. Which was what Jesus taught the disciples. He said, you are sleeping. Temptation is coming. If Peter had understood, he would have tapped into grace such that under pressure, you couldn't get the denial of Jesus out of his mouth. Those who truly believe in grace are ever praying. Tapping into the grace so they can walk above sin. Not walking in sin and say grace covers it. It is a lie. Hey, the man preaching this grace. Carry this, like I said, truth, you carry it to an extreme. It becomes a lie. Once you take a genuine truth, a law as an example, outside its jurisdiction, it becomes false. He said he used to preach that God will punish America. He said, now I know God, that he used to say that if God does not punish America, he's an American. Okay? So I'm not here trying to judge America. I'm just trying to explain what an American preacher said. He said, I used to say that God will punish America. That if God does not judge America, he will have to explain to Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, but now I don't say it anymore. I have realized that if God judges America, he will have to explain to his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed. I said, when he judged Jerusalem, what did he say to Jesus Christ? Was not Jesus himself that told Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. He said, but you will have none of it. He said, for that reason, now your house is left to you desolate. <laughs> he said it to them. 70 years later, the Romans came, wiped out the city, and killed everybody they could find. And Jesus said, it was so that the blood of the prophets that were slain in Jerusalem, from the blood of Abel to that of Zechariah, who perished between the porch and the altar, he said, so that it will be brought upon this generation. He said, I'll give them many more prophets to kill. This was after his death and resurrection. And they were supposedly the people of God. And this was his delight some land. This was a place he chose to put his own name. And he forbade them from offering sacrifices to him anywhere else apart from there. That was the place where Abraham offered up Isaac. The same place where Jesus was offered up. The same place he had his temple built. Yet he said, my eye will no longer behold the place. After Jesus had died for the sins of the whole world, he still wiped them out. 
Sometimes we preach, I say, just read the Bible. Stop cooking up common sense revelations. Read scriptures and see whether it is true. Stop cooking up common sense revelations. They said that if God judges him, he will have to explain to Jesus Christ, he wiped out his own people in Jerusalem, his own land, a land that he cutted and took care of for years. The day came, he turned it to a dunk hill. Place where people hang their shoes, dry their nets, throw away their rubbish. Why? Because the people displaced him. And he said, listen, Cain killed Abel. I'm still going to take vengeance for that death. Isaiah was killed. I will still take vengeance from that death. For all the punishment, you guys, you threw Jeremiah inside a pit. Upon the land in which it happened, Jesus said, it does not happen that the prophets will perish outside Jerusalem. What's going to make it? <laughs> Even though Jesus died, Jerusalem was still destroyed. Because of iniquity. The blood of Jesus does not wash away the iniquity of people that don't repent. The blood of Jesus is not an automatic, automatic worker. Are you, are you getting my point? You have to turn the key. This key is called faith. The key is called repentance. The key is called prayer. You have to turn to him and be saved. You don't turn your back on him and be saved. Just because he died. The day I heard that preacher, I said that. I just said, God, forget this, this prosperity. No one man, don't chop, don't fool. There are certain gospels you can't believe because how would they take away your food? You know, you know, you know those who are looking for the second coming of Jesus, that's why God allows persecution. So that people will want second coming. Because if everybody prospers <laughs> in a way, they say, Jesus, what are you coming to do? I mean, let <laughs> me check out the land is fruitful. Everywhere is peaceful and quiet. We're having fun right here. After all, you said in heaven there's no marriage and being given in marriage. Come on, I just married last year. Come on. Give me a few years. But when you hear Boko Haram is coming, you will say, Maranatha. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. You'll be shouting. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> so there are some doctrines people preach. Just know these are doctrines of prosperity. People have eaten and they are full. It's so easy to believe things that are not true. Listen, I went to all of that and emphasized to us again that as a matter of fact, the earth is affected by the people that live on it. Let's not forget that. He said to them, he said, when you get to that land, I feel like saying it again. This gospel of grace, let's understand it. God delivered them by his mercy, by his power, by his grace. They did not deserve it. Did they deserve it? He said it clearly to them. I'm not doing this because you deserve it. Two things made me do what I'm doing. But on your side, one thing. My promise I made to your fathers. The second reason is that the people there, I'm going to move them out. But he now told them, these people are moving them out because of their wickedness. He said, let's get it clear. It will be unjust of me to remove them for their wickedness and replace them with people who are equally wicked. He said to be unjust. So let me explain something to you. I am moving them out, and I'm bringing you in. Now the things that made me remove them, you must not practice them. Because if you do, the same way I move them out, I will also move you out. I don't care that Abraham is your father. 
I don't care that I saw a, I saw a covenant to him, to Isaac and to Jacob. I don't care. If you walk in iniquity and you continue to disobey me and you sacrifice to false gods and you walk in sexual immorality, I will wipe all of you out. These were people who were saved by grace. These were people that were baptized and they drank of that water, that living water, which Paul explained to us, they were types of what we're experiencing now. Please, nobody should lie to me this gospel of grace. The gospel is not the gospel if it's not producing pure people. It's not working. It doesn't cover sins. Just cover it lightly. We walk as, you know, walk in iniquity on the average like everybody else. We say, but grace covers it. Nonsense. Jesus said, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. So, I'm emphasizing something to all of these things. Change, that's what we're talking about. Change first in us and then around us. Change. It doesn't come because we desire it alone. It comes because we do what is right to provoke that change. No matter how much we pray, no matter how hard we pray, even though God will have released his blessings, if the environment physically cannot accept the blessings, it won't come. That's just the way it works. So that is why God instructs us in the way that we should choose. That's why he instructs us. That is why he instructs us. So if he says, listen, this is how your life is going. All right, you pray. Say, Lord, change my life. All right, you are thinking of changing my life outwardly. He says, I'll first change your life inwardly. And that will manifest in your behavior. In the things you choose, in the things you reject. Then that outward change we're looking for will eventually come. When Jesus came, that was a mistake Israel made. They were praying. People were praying. The Pharisees were praying. Everybody prayed. Deliver us. Deliver us. What did they think deliverance was? Drive away the Romans. They remember the days of David and the earlier part of the days of Solomon. Glorious empire they had that time. They kept on asking for it. And God said, all right, good, I'm going to answer you. So he sent Jesus Christ. Before that, he said, who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Most of them did not believe. They didn't, they don't, they didn't understand. Prophets, you are not a prophet because you are a miracle worker. Don't let me get into my pet project again. <laughs> you walk miracles is not what means you're a prophet. Go and read your Bible well. The greatest prophet in the Bible was John. The Bible says he did not do one mighty work. He didn't. But I can assure you, he baptized many more people than Elijah. <laughs> he kept on baptizing. That's real prophet, prophetic office. It's calling people to repentance. Which prophet, which miracle did you hear that uh, Isaiah walked? Or Jeremiah? Is he walking naked as the miracle of Ezekiel? One day I was reading the story of Ezekiel. I said, yeah, this is not a good job. One day he woke up in the morning. The Lord said, Ezekiel, how are you? He said, fine. 
He said, today, your wife will die. And I want you to know, you will not cry. And there's an evil proverb say you can't beat a child and tell you not to cry at the same time. God doesn't recognize that proverb. <laughs> Took away a man's wife. Said no mourning. Now you use her death to go and preach a message. That was a prophet. Jesus said concerning John, what did you go to see? A prophet. He said more than a prophet. Of all men born of women, none is as great as John. So it's not that you are there doing miracle. <laughs> you see those jokers on television. Someone will now be telling that he's a man of God. Let me not say anything. A true prophet calls people to repentance. A true prophet does not go out and identify who is the source of your problems. He shows the gap between you and your God. And how you need to bridge it. Let me say this again. I say it once in a while. I have not said it in the last few weeks. Or few months. He is a false prophet. She is a false Jezebelic prophetess. That comes to you in the midst of your problems. And identifies the person who is causing it. No, that fellow is false. I don't care the vision he saw or she saw. I don't give a damn. But if you come and say, I've been having problems, financial problems, no problems in my home, problems in my office, and the fellow finishes praying and says to you, I see a black woman in your family. And once they start like that, just pack your bag and leave. They are false prophets. Listen to me. I don't care the vision they saw or you saw before coming because I've seen people that saw before coming. All of it is a false prophecy. You are being manipulated by your sins. Why have I not married? My grandmother buried something. She's a chaplain in your church, Abby. Sharing out husbands and wives. So why do you regard man whose breath is in his nostrils? False prophecy. That's what they do. People have come to me before. Every time, every time I want to break through, something will go wrong. And I feel like, so... Why are you feeling so special with common problems? I don't know whether you're getting my point. You're feeling so special with common problems. Go and ask people who apply for jobs. Sometimes they apply for 10 before they get one. So just before I get the job, the door will just close. Are you a fool? There are 50 of you that apply for a job and they want to employ one person. So 49 will have familiar spirits, have you? The company is going to employ but one. They made it clear. They need one particular person, a manager over this district, a sales manager. And it's a good company. They pay well. So many of your type came. So the prophet is now you. <laughs> he said, anytime I want to break through, something will just happen. Everybody that didn't get a job, something happened. The people intervened said no. 
What is special about you? You feel specially persecuted with common problems. No, it makes me laugh. You see, people, they, 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 you know, when people come to you once in a while for counseling. That's why I always send people to Okemu. When they come, they can't solve your problem. That's when I listen to it because I'm tired of hearing. I'm sure you had a lot of common things. They come, Pastor, pray for me. My business has not done well for a while. I say, go to America. Most businesses don't do well. Go to Lagos. Most businesses don't do well. Come to Enugu. It's a normal thing. So what's there? They told me that. Told you that what? Witches don't want you to prosper. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen witches want anybody to prosper? <laughs> no, it annoys me. You, you, you see them define a, a common problem and make it special. It's like I say, ah, Pastor, you need to pray. You need to pray. Why? Every Hamatan season like this, I'll be having blood nose. <laughs> you know, like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Uh-huh. So the, the, the demons are after me because your nose blocked. And of course, man must work. The prophet must eat. If he does not call your grandfather the cause of how will you bring the titan off? Let me say it again. He's a false prophet. She's a false prophetess. Anyone that looks at your problems and the only solution he has, the first solution he has is to identify who started it. Just know the fellow is false. The fellow is false. I need to emphasize that. The fellow is what? False. What am I preaching? Talking about change, the gospel of change. So what God does is send change into us first. John the Baptist, Israel was crying. The whole world, the whole world actually. Now let me just say something quickly. You know, I, I once have to explain things. What you see in Israel was all over the world. Israel was just God's chosen people to, to represent what was going on on the earth. And then again for documentation purposes. The Bible says, to them was committed the oracles of God. You've heard, I've heard somebody say before, of course, he made a mistake. He won't say that again now. That, you know, Jesus came to save, save the Jews. Nonsense. Who introduced Jesus? John. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God that is the way the sin of the Jews. The person said, if, if the Jews had accepted Jesus, the rest of the Gentiles wouldn't have had anything. That God gave them Jesus Gave us Jesus because the Jews rejected him. I said, what a joke. What a joke. Like one of my senior brothers says, it is a mistake they make. They forget the, from the beginning. Now, I can say this to you. As a matter of fact, I know it from the scriptures. From, from, okay, let's take it from an easy place, okay? From the garden, Jesus was the aim. Everybody along the line was a tool, an instrument of God to bring Jesus. Enoch, that prophesied. Um, Noah, that joined. Gave birth to the, you know, to the three boys. And then they picked one. Abraham came out of that one. Shem, understand? Gave birth to Abraham. All of them were instruments in the hand of God to bring forth Jesus. Jacob was the last main individual. After Jacob, they spread out into a nation. So that nation was just the next person. Now, I'm using the word personal for the nation. That nation was the next person to bring forth Jesus. Once Jesus came, he looked back and said, it is done. That was what he meant when he said, it is finished. People will still turn around and tell you, 
God has two covenant people on the earth. I hear good men of God say it. Israelites and the church. I say, excuse me, I have a question for you. Does Israel have a covenant outside Jesus? Just say yes or no to it and they will leave it there. If the answer is no, so their covenant is only in Christ. Okay, what about the Gentiles, the church? Do we have any covenant outside Jesus? The answer again is what? No. So everybody has a covenant where? In Jesus. And inside Jesus, you know what Paul said? There is no wall of partitioning. Where do we get our doctrines from? We just sit down and create our own things. Everybody that's accepted today is accepted only in Christ Jesus. Jew or Gentile. I've heard the expression, Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians. Meaningless expressions. Except you're talking history. You know, nationality, which passport are we using to travel? Because we cannot use heavenly passport to cross American border. We have to use <laughs> earthly passport. So that's what you mean. I'm a Christian from Nigeria. I can understand that. But spiritually, there are just three groups of people. There is Jews, there is Gentiles, and there is a church. Where you came from does not identify you when you are inside. So God sent Jesus. That's what I'm going to say. To answer the cry of Israel. And it was not Israel that was crying. The whole world was crying. The whole world was crying. That was why wise men saw his star from the east. How come they saw it if they were not looking for it? Why did it make meaning to them if they were not looking for it? I've heard different accounts or explanations of the kind of people they were. Some say they were Jews in diaspora. How they arrived at that, I don't know. I want to Jewish which Judify. Give me my English. Find me a word for it. want to Jewize everything. It's even the wise men were Jews in diaspora. Anyway, I prefer Sadhu Sundar Selvaraj's explanation. He said they were Indians. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, at least he said at least one of them was, was an Indian. I, I, let me add my own. One was an African that travels to... They, they met in Egypt and then went. But Sadhu said they were, that at least he said they were Indians. They came from one the India side. Wise men from the East. He insists that they were. And he, according to his visions and revelations that one of them returned later to meet Jesus. That that one is not in the Bible. Jesus gave him the anointing to heal like he gave the other disciples, the apostles. And when he was leaving, he was healing the sick like they were doing. And Peter and Cole saw him and stopped him. And they came to Jesus and said, we saw a man healing in your name and we stopped him. And that was when Jesus said they should not have stopped him. And not did they <laughs> Now the thing with brought talk, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But the point I'm making is that it was a crowd of the whole world. It wasn't just a crowd of the Jews alone. It was the whole world. They were crying for deliverance. Plagues will come. You see, let me tell you the truth. You know, there's a lot of arrogance going on right now in the world, especially amongst the so-called developed people. They just think that if we research enough, we'll find an answer. And they've been finding answers a lot. HIV, virtually solved HIV 95%, I can say. Right now, a patient you diagnose with HIV positivity, you put the fellow on, what we, on heart treatment, that's highly active antiretroviral therapy. 
Look, the virus load will drop to almost zero, even though a cure cannot be declared. Can't declare a cure. No matter how zero it is for how long, you can't declare a cure. But you can declare that it can drop it to almost zero. It becomes undetectable. That's how good the advance that God granted us. The man, Dr. Ho, who began that way of treatment, got the Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize for it some years ago. They just believe that we need to research. Ebola came out. They fired research into Ebola. After some time, they got a vaccine. No treatment, but the vaccine at least is there. And it's the, the vaccine is effective. Listen. Medical advance wiped out smallpox on the surface of the earth. Almost. What I say almost is that the virus is still kept somewhere in a vault in Switzerland. But it's not found in any living person. Smallpox is, was eradicated. They had to keep a sample of it for research purposes in a vault in, in Switzerland. It's still there. I think 70s, late 70s, early 80s, thereabouts, they declared it eradicated. And they were going to declare polio eradicated. The problem they had was Islam. Because of these Bashiga things. So there's, the point is, only three countries still had polio. Nigeria, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Just three. Why? Because of the effectiveness of the polio virus, the, uh, the polio vaccine. Very, very effective. So sometimes because of that, they get into an arrogant thing. Like Bill Gates is spending most of his charity money in looking for cures for diseases. That's where he pumps his money. We get into this arrogant thing. But there's one that has eluded medical advance. Cancer. Cancer is bad. That one is a, <laughs> cancer is a, bring it on. If you know the money that has been spent on cancer research, but I'm talking about arrogance. People have become very arrogant because God allowed some progress. But you know what the Bible says? It said, when they will say, peace, peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them. It will ne- Look, listen, it's the, the, the arrogance, let me tell you something. God will always judge things like that. The day you open your mouth and say, look, those medical science can do everything, they even, some people believe so much in medical science, they believe that one day they'll be able to reverse the death process. So people paid to have their bodies frozen so they can wake them up later when advancement gets to that level. They come back from hellfire. <laughs> that is good. I'm not explaining something. But what happens actually is that with all this our arrogance, a time comes, God will release his judgment against the pride of man. He always does it. And that's when people start crying, God save us. That time, the world, you see, they think the world is, is you know, advancement just been going up. Oh, no, the world advanced at the time. Then God judged the pride of man. And all over the place, you began to cry, save us. Save us now. Save us. Save us. Save us. If you go and read the story of Buddha, he, he was a Hindu. He founded his own religion, which I knew this long ago. I knew long ago that when I read the story of Buddha, I said, this man, what they practice today could not have been what he founded. It's not possible. What they practice today? Because he lived long before the time of Jesus Christ. When I read the story of that man, Buddha, I said, it's not possible. 
if that man had lived when Jesus was alive, he would have been one of the wise men that would have come from the east. He would have come to look for him. Why did he become a Buddhist? Why did he get into his own religion? He started something new. It was when he saw the problems of mankind. He looked at the frustrations of mankind. And they said that's how the gods decided. They said it can't be like this. So he began to meditate. Now, when there's been something, he too had a cry, save us now. I am convinced. Did I read the story of Buddha? I said, no. If that fellow had lived to the time of Jesus, he would have been amongst the wise men that would have rushed down from the east to find him. Because he was, he was crying for deliverance. Until now, the whole creation is still crying. This time around, they are waiting for something different. That time, they wanted the Savior to come. Now, they are waiting for the manifestations of those who believe in that Savior. What am I saying? So Israel cried like the whole world was crying. And then Jesus came. Except that, this is where I was going. Except that he didn't come, for example, to bring a cure to cancer directly. He didn't come directly to give us an answer to global warming. He didn't come to solve those problems the way we wanted them solved. No. He came because the Father knew the source of all our problems. It's sin. It is disobedience. We are actually suffering under the wrath of God. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. The problem was not the infection. It was not the cancer. The problem was not all the problems, you know, economic hardship, natural disaster. That was not the problem. The problem was sin in the heart of people. He came, he died. Not for Jews, please. The whole world, he died for everybody. John told us that. Israel was just the place he passed through to come. Israel was chosen to be his conduit pathway onto the earth. And the husbandman that labors must be what? The first partaker of the fruit. So he came to them first. So Paul would say to the Jew first. Why? Because he labored. That's what the Bible says. He came onto his own. Because they labored. The husbandman that labors according to the law of God must be the first partaker of the fruit. So he offered it to them first. And everywhere he went then, he offered it to them first. Paul, even though he was an apostle of the Gentiles, everywhere he would go, he would still offer it to them first. But it wasn't for them, it was for everybody. It was for the whole world. Then he died. He left 12 choice men. Judas was removed, replaced quickly. And then some other disciples. I read this from Ed Cole's book, that when he got to heaven, the angels were excited and said, it's all done. He said, yes. They said, the earth is now clean. He said, no. Sir, what's going on? He said, I've left 12 men. What would they do? Paul said something like this. 
He said, I'm doing my share. Now follow this. Paul said, I'm doing my share in that which is lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The day I read that, I said, Paul, are you high on something? How can, let's, I think we should read that. <laughs> How can you tell me something is lacking? Where? Uh, is it possible that everything that Jesus did, something is still lacking? You must be kidding me, like we say. But actually, what was lacking? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 24, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your behalf, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, the day I read this, I looked and I said, wait, 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 wait. What was Paul saying? That something is lacking in what Jesus did. So, wait, wait. The toe of Jesus was not killed. So Paul is not the toe. <laughs> no, that was not what he was saying. I read all of that to show a point. How did he do it? He said, by carrying the, of this church have been made a minister according to the stewardship from God. Let me read a simpler translation. Verse 25, New Living Translation. He said, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Then my version says, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. What was he saying? If God accomplishes something, if Jesus accomplishes something, if you don't know about it, it does not help you. Are we getting my point? That's what is lacking. He accomplishes it, but he says, now that I have accomplished it, go into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. Even though I've accomplished it, except they know it, it does not benefit them. Paul said, so that's what I'm doing. To help the saints know that which Christ did for them, which if they don't know, they will not be able to enjoy the benefits thereof. So Ed Cole said, that story he told, the angels looked and said, so, Everything is done, but everything is not done. So what's going to happen? He said, I left 12 men. 12 people to carry out the plan, to continue the plan of the ages, the plan that God made for generations, that Jesus came down, the Son of God, equal with God. God manifested in flesh, died on the cross, you left it to 12 men of which the senior amongst them de- denied you on the day of suffering. So they said the angels asked him, what if they fail? And he answered, I have no other plan. And I want to add my own part of the story. The angels looked and said, guys, we have work to do. 
We have to help them not to fail. We have to take marching orders and go and meet them so that they don't fail. But my message today is to those who are here so that they will not fail. He said, what if they fail? He said, I have no other plan. That's the only plan. Is that way. It has to be that way. So Paul gave his life. One of the reasons Paul gave his life was that God helped him to see the magnitude of the plan. I don't know whether you're getting my point. God helped him to see it. There's something I say about Christians, you know? And that's some, it's a major prayer point, too. As a church, we have very few believing believers. What I mean is that a lot of us believe Jesus, you know, and once you believe that, it lives more righteously to show, to show your fear of God, at least fear of judgment, you know, whatever it is. You're fine. But that's where most people, that's where their faith ends. They don't really believe. And one of the reasons why they don't truly believe that is that they don't fully understand. They don't. I like to always give the example of medicine, which I gave earlier, to show you what I mean by they don't fully believe. WHO and the medical world, they know that if we can just manage to give every child a few drops of the oral polio virus, we will wipe out polio from the surface of the earth. They took it away from Europe, took it away from North America, took it away totally from South America, most of Africa. They just had the key difficult places. And they would do everything to get into those places, including having the Emmy of Kano come out to administer the medicine. That's what they do. They know what they are doing. They will get the chief imam in the locality to join them. He will bring out his children. With his own hands, he will admit, because very easy, anybody can do it. It's just like drops, like eye drops. This one in the mouth. Just bring out, press a few drops in the child's mouth. That's what they need. They will go there, make, ah, do what they have to do. 